We all have that friend who wakes up early to go get everyone McDonald's breakfast while the rest of us sleep in. This is your sign to thank them. And if you're that friend, this is us saying thank you. Now get a sausage McMuffin, sausage biscuit, sausage burrito, or hash browns. Choose two for $2.50. Enjoy a large iced coffee for just $2. Price of participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All Hit Radio. Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. Welcome back, everyone. This is The Exxon. I am Rob McConnell, and we're coming to you from our broadcast center and studios in Crystal Beach, Ontario, Canada. Now, if you'd like to send me an email, exxon at exxonradiotv.com on all social media sites, Exxon Radio TV. And if you'd like to find out what it, the programming is available for you on the Exxon TV channel that is exclusive to Simul TV, visit www.simultv.com. We're going to be talking about shapeshifters this hour, ExoNation. My guest is a gentleman that I've had the pleasure of having on the show many times in the past. His name is John Kachuba. Now, John is an award-winning author of 12 books of fiction and nonfiction. His fiction titles include Dark Entry, a paranormal novel, The Savage Apostle, historical fiction. He has also published two-volume collections of short stories titled There Comes a Season, and has written numerous articles and poems for a variety of magazines, journals, and newspapers. John's most recent work of nonfiction, Shapeshifters, a history, was published in June of 2019 and was a finalist in the Horror Writers Association Bram Stoker's Award for Superior Achievement in Nonfiction. Several other works of nonfiction are about ghosts and the paranormal, humor writing, and occupational safety and health. Joining me now is my friend, John Kachuba. And John, welcome back to the Exxon. Great having you with us. Uh, thanks, Rob. It's, it's always fun to be here. I, I appreciate your, uh, your show and being on it, oh, as often as I have been. <laughs> all right. The, the check is in the mail. I'll make sure it's in okay. U.S. dollars this time. <laughs> John, uh, t- what, for the audience who may not have had the pleasure of listening to you before here on the Exxon, because the Exxon has grown and it keeps on growing, Tell us a little bit about who John Kachuba is and how John Kachuba got interested in the paranormal. Sure, sure. Well, you know, I didn't start out um, being a writer. I mean, I, I grew up in New England, and I was always a student of history. And I loved all the, you know, historical tales uh, of New England and the area. And when you hear about those, you also start hearing some of the legends you hear ghost stories yep. and you hear you know indian legends and and all that kind of stuff and i used to eat up the ghost stories i mean i loved them you know and, and so i i spent a lot of time um just listening to those and reading them as much as i could and uh i just i just like i interested in that but the funny thing is i didn't do anything in terms of writing about ghosts until i met ed and lorraine warren um, who, you know, your audience probably knows. Oh, I, yeah. I consider them America's godfather and godmother of ghost hunting. 
Um, I actually lived in the same town in Connecticut that they did for a while. And uh, we got to, we got to know each other a little bit. And, um, you know, it was <laughs> I, I own werewolf barking here right now. So I'm trying to avoid that. Uh, I know. Uh, I, I understand that you can't see the dog because that is actually a ghost dog. And what we're hearing are EVPs, right? <laughs> I hope so. Work with me here, John. Work with me here, John. You might be. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So anyway, so back to the warrant. Yeah. So, th- so they got me more interested in in sort of the investigative end of of ghosts. Um, mm-hmm. So rather than just reading about them and and you know enjoying the stories and everything, I started doing some investigations, and it just it kind of snowballed. And when I moved out to Ohio, um, which oh, probably about twenty five years ago now at this point. Uh, there was a publisher here who was interested in my work, knew my work from some other sources, and said, hey, you know, we'd really like to do a series of, of ghost books, and would you be interested in doing those? I said, sure. So that got me really into investigating more. Mm-hmm. Um, I wrote three books for that series, and then I edited another, I guess, 13 for them, hiring writers in different parts of the country to cover their areas. So it became a series called America's Haunted Road Trip. Um, and so, yeah, so it really took off from there. And, you know, Shapeshifters, as you mentioned, is my latest book, was kind of a spinoff of that because what I found, Rob, is, you know, I would do a lot of public speaking about ghosts, uh, especially in October. You know, everybody wants you in October around Halloween, you know. Yeah, I don't like feeling. You know, yeah, libraries, universities, conferences, you know, your program, a lot of programs like this. Um, and what I noticed was that frequently people would talk to me about experiences that they had with, they thought it was a ghost experience. But then he would say some things that made me think, well, that doesn't sound like a ghost. It sounds more like there's something else going on when you're seeing this entity. There seems to be some, you know, morphing or something. Mm-hmm. So I started wondering if they were talking about shapeshifters. And I started doing research on that topic and just found out that it was just, oh, I mean, it opened up a whole new world of the paranormal for me. Uh, so that book covers a lot of ground. And, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about it a little bit more, obviously, but sure. uh, it's a pretty broad spectrum. You know. Anyway, it's, that's, that's me sort of in a nutshell. I, I, I still teach creative writing through Ohio University, and I'm still writing other kinds of books. But uh, and I consider myself a writer first and sort of a paranormal investigator sort of secondarily in a way I, I take more a journalistic approach when I do my investigations any, anyhow what's the difference between a journalistic approach and a paranormal investigator who goes out to do a investigation on a ghost haunting or something that went bump in the night yeah well it's a good question and when I say journal journalistic I mean um, truly trying to be objective and, and trying to go into a location uh, without any sort of preconceived mm-hmm. notion of what might be there or what might not be there. So I, I try to go in like this, you know, wide-eyed kid and just say, wow, okay, what's going on? <laughs> Tell me, what, you know, what's, what's going on here? And so it's a lot of observation. It's a lot of talking to people, interviewing people that are, that are at that location maybe more often than I am because – you know, as we all know, ghosts don't perform on command. I wish they did, yeah. but they don't, you know. Um, so I might be in a location for only a short time, and I may not experience anything, but if I talk to a security guard at a building or something that's supposedly haunted and he's there all the time, he'll have stories for me. He'll tell me what he's seen. So I take that approach, whereas um, I, I think a paranormal investigator, somebody that identifies himself as a paranormal investigator, uh, is setting out to to prove something, I think, you know, to to prove that ghost exists or to disprove that ghost exists. But they sort of have an agenda where, and that's fine, because when I actually go out in investigations, I frequently uh, team up with various paranormal teams because they have, you know, a lot of the equipment, they have access to places, so it makes it easy for me to, to do my work. Um, but I think what I'm doing is just more like, okay, uh, you know, yeah, that happened. You say it happened. Okay, well, maybe it did. Maybe it didn't. I'm not making any claims. I'm just saying, here's what happened. Here's what we saw. Here's what we heard. Uh, you know, you make as a reader, you make up your mind as to what you think is going on there. 
I appreciate that uh, way of looking at things because it's just like this show. We try to get as much information as we can from both sides of the coin so that our listeners can actually make up their own mind. And that seems to be what you're doing as a journalist. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, and I don't, I don't try to, like I say, I don't try to persuade my readers one way or the other. Um, in fact, the question always is, well, you know, I read your books, and so I'm not sure. Do you believe in ghosts? And I'll say, you know, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm sort of on the fence. Ace. I think the possibility is that they're there, but, you know, I'm, I'm not a skeptic, and I'm not a diehard yeah. believer either. That's uh, the same as over here. People say, Rob, you sound like a skeptic. You know, don't you believe? If you don't believe, why are you doing your show? Well, after 32 years, I'm happy to say <laughs> that there has been no proof. I want proof. If I'm to believe something, I want to have proof. I don't want to hear all the stories from the armchair paranormal investigators that are out there who spend hours and hours hooked up to a catheter so that they don't have to leave their chair when they're surfing the net to find out all the gooey details. I, I want to see with my own eyes these so-called hauntings that people talk about. And, you know, I don't know how many ghost trips I've been on in Canada, the United States, even in, where, where were we? We were in Mexico, we did that. We were in uh, Jamaica, we did that. All these haunted places, nothing. <laughs> like, nothing. And it's not as if I don't go there with an open mind and say, I want to believe, but nothing. Hey, John, you and I have to take our first break. When we come back, let's talk about shapeshifters. John, all right. John Kachub is my special guest. His website is very hard to remember, Exo Nation. It's his name, johnkachuba.com. This is the Exxon. I am Rob McConnell. We're coming to you from our broadcast center and studios in beautiful Crystal Beach, Ontario, Canada, part of the most beautiful region in Canada. And I'm proud to say it's right here in Niagara. Don't go away. You kick up the leaves and the magic is lost. Tell me your blue skies fade to gray. Tell me your passion's have that friend who wakes up early to go get everyone McDonald's breakfast while the rest of us sleep in. This is your sign to thank them. And if you're that friend, this is us saying thank you. Now get a sausage McMuffin, sausage biscuit, sausage burrito, or hash browns. Choose two for $2.50. Enjoy a large iced coffee for just $2. Price of participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Single item at regular price. Could family genetics be a reason that no matter what we try, we still can't lose the fat and inches from our problem areas? To learn more, we spoke to Dr. Brian Strand from Sonobello. While some people can eat everything and stay thin, others diet and exercise daily and still pack on fat and inches to their problem areas. It's not your fault. It can be genetics. If you struggle to lose the fat from your tummy, love handles, thighs, and back, you're likely battling your family genetics. The good news is we have an answer. Sonobello uses a remarkable technique called microlaser fat removal. In one comfortable visit, the fat in your hardest places to lose is gone permanently. Stop wrestling with your family genes and lose the fat permanently. And right now you can save $250. The results are life-changing. Do this for you. Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save. Sonobello.com slash save.
And welcome back, everyone. That is Lulu with uh, To Sir With Love. And if you like the best of the 50s, 60s, 70s, I've got a great new radio station for you to uh, tune into. Everybody's saying, Rob, you're promoting another radio station. Yeah, I am, because it's in my old hometown of St. Catharines, and it was the very first radio station that the X-Zone was on some 32 years ago. Back then it was 1220 CHSC, and now it's classic 1220 CFAJ. And uh, Joe Gurney, uh, my, one of my best friends, is the chief engineer over there. And uh, I had lunch with Joe on Friday. And it's really nice uh, talking about the old times, the hometown. And I had the pleasure of working with Joe at uh, CJBK when I was the executive producer over there. And Joe Gurney and uh, Larry, who worked with uh, Joe in engineering, and, and Mark, uh, they taught me a lot about the radio industries all those years ago. So, guys, if you want to listen to a great 50s, 60s, classic rock, classic talk, classic, classy radio station, it is, uh, let me see, Classic 1220, and that's CFAJ, and their website is very simple, classic1220.ca. John Kachuba is my guest, and uh, John has written a fascinating book, just like the other books he writes, and he paid me to say that. Um, just kidding, John. Is entitled uh, Shapeshifters, A History. First of all, John, welcome back. And what is a shapeshifter? So a shapeshifter um, is basically just a person who has the ability to transform into usually an animal, but they can also transform into another person and sometimes even into an inanimate object. Um, and, and this is the definition that I'm using, having looked at the shapeshifter character in cultures all around the world, from like ancient times right up to today. So um, it's a variety of shapeshifters, but that's kind of the basic definition, I guess. Yeah, my wife must be a shapeshifter. <laughs> And why? Well, it's very simple. She can take my full wallet, and hours <laughs> later, it's empty. She changes that yeah. shift of the wallet, the credit cards, the bank account. Now I know why. So, uh, shapeshifters throughout history, when is the first recorded incident that you know about where shapeshifters were talked about? Yeah, well, the earliest thing I, the earliest thing I saw wasn't, wasn't so much a... Um, actual shapeshifter in terms of like when we think of a werewolf or something mm -hmm. but there's a uh, cave painting from a cave in France that dates back to the Neolithic period and what's really interesting, what it shows is a deer standing on its hind legs with its forelegs kind of raised but if you look at this drawing really carefully you'll notice that you know deers have hooves, right? Yes. Instead of having hooves this deer has fingers and toes. And if you look at the eyes, instead of being on the side of the head, as we think of, you know, so many animals, deers included, they were directly in the center of his face like a human eye, just like looking right at you. Um, so what anthropologists believe this is, was a representation of a shaman transforming himself into a deer. Uh, this was way back. Like I said, this is Neolithic. Uh, and, and what they think was going on was that, uh, you know, the shaman was probably doing some kind of what they would call hunter, hunter magic or hunter ritual. So he probably had tribal hunters gathered around and they're going to go after deer. So he would draw these you know, drawings on the mm -hmm. cave walls. They would do whatever kind of chanting or, you know, whatever. But they would also probably ingest some natural hallucinogenics from the environment. You know, I, I was just literally... I was yeah. just going to. I was just going to ask you if they were using ayahuasca. Yeah, well, in some yeah, in some countries, some areas. Um, this in France, I don't know if it would have been available there, but there's certainly other kinds yeah. of, you know, mushrooms and whatever that uh, different kinds of um, you Wine. know natural uh, ingredients that will give you a nice high. <laughs> um, and so what happened was these guys would actually believe that they had transformed themselves into a deer. So. Yeah, how how easy would it be to take a deer if you are a deer, right? Just walk up to them, and that's it. Uh, so that's that's what they believe was going on. Now, of course, they weren't really transforming, but they believed they were. So 
they were in that kind of a trance state that would do it. And so for shapeshifters, I talk about what I call internal and external shapeshifters. And so this would be an example of internal, where where sort of you, um, how would I say, your psyche, in a sense, transforms, but your body doesn't. Uh, whereas external shapeshifters, we're talking about the ones, you know, the stereotypical werewolf where suddenly you're sprouting fangs and hair and, and claws and everything else, uh, you know, and, and vampires changing into bats and all that. So I make that distinction between those two types, and I, I think it's an important distinction, and it carries out throughout the book uh, in different cultures. John, uh, throughout the uh, prairies, there have been uh members of the First Nations, both in the United States and Canada, that used to use animal hides to creep up on the animals. And mm-hmm. they weren't considered shapeshifters. So where does the line get drawn between camouflage and shapeshifting? Right. Well, you're exactly right. I know like a lot of the buffalo hunters yeah. on the plains would do that and actually get close to buffalo like that. Um, and, and you're right. They were not putting themselves in sort of in the mindset of the animal or believing they were the animal. I think what makes the difference, uh, <laughs> possibly, is the hallucinogenics. Uh, you know, that goes a far way off. That goes a far way to making you think that you're something other than what you are, uh, especially when you're sort of being told that by a religious leader, you know, a medicine person, a shaman, somebody who uh, you respect as having uh, supernatural powers and supernatural abilities. Um, supernatural. So I, I think you can be led that way. Yeah, supernatural weed. Yeah. You know, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> basically, the shaman was the pusher, the supplier in the in the uh, in the tribe. Hey, man, yeah. you want to you want to see some deer? <laughs> Come with me. <laughs> Give me your wampum, right. pal. Yeah. Um, so, when did this shapeshifting become part or of the uh, paranormal genre? Um, you know, I, I think, to me, that seems sort of recent, uh, because as I was sort of looking through the shapeshifters, I mean, I found, you know, stories about shapeshifters going way back into ancient Greek and Roman mythology and Egyptian mythology uh, and that kind of thing, but they weren't really considered, uh, you know, paranormal. Um, I think that's fairly recent, and I would say, I would say it probably maybe around the 18th century or so where we started, um, there was a stronger belief in things like werewolves and vampires. And I think that that's probably where they started joining the kind of paranormal realm. Is it possible that this is all the work of fiction? Well, um, I would say that fiction has certainly contributed a lot to shapeshifter lore. Yeah. Um, but there's also accounts, you know, there's, there's accounts of people today um, and, you know, probably the last couple hundred years as well, but um, seeing shapeshifters and reporting, you know, watching somebody transform or seeing something uh, that suddenly changes before its eyes or does something. So that's not fiction. I mean, those are personal accounts. Well, uh, whether you can trust those accounts or not is something else. Now, you see, if you told me these people watch their wife change from being soft, loving, cuddly to being that other wife that we all have, when you say <laughs> no, you know, I can understand that. But once again, and on a serious note here, all of these claims, whether it be ghost hauntings, UFOs, Bigfoot, whatever, even with all the technology that we have available in our hand these days, high-definition cameras, there is never the picture to prove it. Right. And the only accounts that I talk about in my book have mm-hmm. been you know, eyewitness accounts, right? Somebody saying, yeah. well, I saw this happen. Well, okay, but what did you see? You know, First of all, is that person actually a normal functioning individual or are they hallucinating are they schizophrenic are they a little bit out there (laughs) you know uh and then if they're perfectly fine well okay what did you see what did you really see was it a big dog jumping over the fence or was it actually a werewolf you know how do you you can say it's a werewolf but to your point rob where's 
Where's your evidence? Where's your proof? Yeah. There's a great story from uh, 18th century France. All right. We're, what, about, we're going to, what we're going to do is we're going to hold it here because I have to take my break. And speaking about France, the biggest <laughs> hallucinogenic, uh, or, yeah, I guess we could call it that, that they have over in France is wine. Yeah, there you mm-hmm. go. Drink yeah. enough wine, you'll see anything. All right, listen, right. stand by. John Kachuba is our very special guest. His website, very complicated. It's entitled johnkachuba.com. And John and I will be back on the other side as we discuss more about shape-shifting right here in the X-Zone from our broadcast center and studios in beautiful Crystal Beach, Ontario. Don't forget, X-Zone Nation, check out my friend's uh, radio station, classic1220.ca. That's classic1220cfaj. And the website is classic1220.ca. Tell me your blue skies fade to gray Tell me your passion's gone away And I don't need no care We all have that friend who wakes up early to go get everyone McDonald's breakfast while the rest of us sleep in. This is your sign to thank them. And if you're that friend, this is us saying thank you. Now get a sausage McMuffin, sausage biscuit, sausage burrito, or hash browns. Choose two for two fifty. Enjoy a large iced coffee for just $2. Price of participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Great news. For a limited time, you can get one month free of Spectrum Mobile service. That's right. One month free with any new line. This exclusive offer is only available at select Spectrum stores. So stop by today. Our team of mobile experts are ready to help you switch and save hundreds on your mobile bill. Don't miss out on this incredible offer. Come see us at Market at Hilliard, Taylor Square, and Waterloo Crossing. Spectrum Internet and auto pay required. Restrictions apply. Visit store for details. John Kachuba is my special guest to this hour, Exonation, www.johnkachuba.com. And we're talking about John's new book entitled Shapeshifters, A History. John, as always, great having you here on the show. Thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to join us. Uh, thanks, Rob. It's a pleasure. I appreciate it. Um, we've talked about shapeshifters in folklore. We've talked about shapeshifters in myth. We've talked about shapeshifters in legend. Are there shapeshifters in the Bible? There are. And it's it's interesting because that was probably the last place that I would expect to find them. Yeah. Um, I have a couple of different uh, examples in the book. And one is from actually the book of Daniel. And it talks about how King Nebuchadnezzar somehow got himself on the wrong side of God, and I don't remember exactly how, but that's, that's not important. The important thing is <laughs> that uh, God punished him, uh, according to the Bible, by transforming him into something. We don't know what it is, but it talks about him having, like, uh, claws and eating grass and having sort of uh, fur and everything else. So it sounds like it could have been uh, maybe an animal, maybe a wolf, maybe a maybe a cow, I don't know. Wow. But <laughs> in any case, uh, that was that was in the book of Daniel. Um, 
But then when you look at the uh, New Testament, there's some interesting things there, too. And this got me in a little bit of hot water with a magazine called The Catholic Herald that reviewed my book. <laughs> but I was thinking of um, some of the things that uh, that we see with Jesus, like, for instance, the uh, when he's after the resurrection, mm-hmm. uh, two of his disciples are walking on the road to Emmaus, and all of a sudden this third person is in their midst, and they don't know who he is. They don't recognize him. And they walk all the way into the village of Emmaus, and they're talking about Jesus and what happened to him and how he died and all this. And only when they get into the village and they have dinner, they're having dinner, only then do these two disciples who have spent three years with him in the desert wandering around finally recognize him as being Jesus. And the question is, how did they not recognize him? How did they not know the person they just spent 24-7 with for three years, how did they not know that was him? Um, there's an interesting uh, script, a, a piece of uh, Coptic text that's in the Morgan Library, and it was translated by a Dutch theologian. And what he says is that it talks about Jesus, and it talks about um the scene where the Jews are going to arrest him in the Garden of Gethsemane. Right. And so Judas is talking to the Jews, and they say to him, well, how will we recognize him? You know, And we, we know whole, the whole story there, but what this text says is, it goes a little further, it says, how will we recognize him? Because he appears differently to different people. Sometimes he appears young, sometimes he appears old, sometimes he appears, they use the word ruddy, you know, Mm -hmm. R-U-D-D-Y, meaning sort of a reddish complexion. They said sometimes he appears white, sometimes he appears like wheat. (laughs) So they're talking about all these different ways that people are seeing him. It could be metaphorical in that, you know, you see him as you want to see him, or it could be that he was actually the transforming um, and and they, you know, and I think to myself, if you are a Christian and if you believe that Jesus was God, well, if that's the case, then he is certainly capable. You know, if he can walk on water and rise from the dead, he's certainly capable of changing himself into anything he wanted to at any time. I mean, that that shouldn't be very difficult, right? Well, e- even <laughs> even in the story of Moses, Moses transformed himself as well. Right, exactly. Yeah. Right. Right. And and so there's there's these examples. Um the transfiguration is another one too, yep. you know, where he goes up on the Jesus goes up on the top of this mountain mm-hmm. and he tells his disciples, You stay down here, I'm gonna go up and when he goes up, they look up and they see him suddenly become some kind of a celestial light being, you know, for lack of a better word. I mean he's he's radiant. They can't even look at him. Uh and then he comes back down and he's his normal self again. Well what what was that about? Um uh, so, yeah, and actually in other religions, too, the Buddha uh, actually had in his lifetime, according to Buddhist texts, twice where he was transfigured, like like Jesus was, where he became this sort of ethereal light body uh, and then resumed his human nature. So it's, it's interesting. Yeah, I took, a little, I took a little heat on that one with the Bible. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I was just going to ask you about this. Tell okay. me about the heat you took. Uh, well, I mean, so the Catholic Herald reviewed um, reviewed my book, which surprised me. I can't imagine why they would have done it in the first place. And the review was fairly good until they got to the part about Jesus being a shapeshifter. <laughs> you know, and they, they kind of said, they, they kind of, well, they roasted me, I guess. <laughs> I, so luckily the Inquisition is uh, no longer in place. Um, you think. But, uh you know, and I was I was surprised they did it because I said if they believe that that's God, why would that be impossible for him to do? Well, because they didn't think of it, you did. <laughs> yeah, well. Yeah, come on. I don't know. It's all a matter of marketing with the Catholic Church. Yeah. <laughs> hey, in my don't get me going about religion, please. Yeah, well, I know. All right, oh, yeah, since you too. asked, since you asked, they should just listen. When you hear the stories about Jesus, he doesn't walk into these big Vatican-sized buildings, does he? Of course not. He takes care of the people who need taking care of. So Mm -hmm. what I would do, or what I think the Pope and whoever's in charge of every other church on this planet should do, sell all the property, sell all the buildings, turn the buildings into homeless shelters, number one. (laughs) What? 
Number two, number two, sell all the gold, sell all the art, and give that money to the poor. Isn't that what Jesus would do? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I'm with yeah. you on that, too. I make the same claim. Yeah. So you and I are going to go to hell when we die. Okay. At least I'll have somebody well, if, there I know. If it's there. If it's there, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. So where does shape-shifting, in your opinion, evolve to in the years to come? Well, I think the thing is I talked a little bit about the psychology of shapeshifter. And mm-hmm. what, what I think is interesting is that I think we all are shapeshifters in some way. Um, here, here we're getting into Halloween in a couple yeah. of weeks, right? And, I, you know, I ask myself, why is it that people dress up? Uh, I mean, I, I love Halloween. <laughs> it's a big deal. I love it. But why do people dress up? Um, and why do they ch- how do they choose what they're going to wear, what, who they're going to be? Yeah. What does that say about them? Uh, is, it, is it sort of a manifestation of what you'd like to be? Would you like to shapeshift? And I mean that you know, metaphorically. Yeah. Would you like to shapeshift into uh, you know, Superman and have all those great powers? Or would you like to shapeshift into uh, somebody that can turn himself invisible or you know, whatever it might be? Right. So I think there's something. Um, I think that's why the shapeshifter character resonates because I think it fills a void for a lot of us. I think it allows us to vicariously sort of, um, you know, throw off all the bonds that holds us in place. All our, we just talked about religion, you know, our morality, our religious laws, Mm -hmm. our, um, our legal system, anything that says, this is how you have to behave. You know, shapeshifters say, well, screw that. I'm I'm (laughs) going to be where I want to be. Right. So, I mean, what would it, you know, I think there is this sort of, um, I think we all kind of have that sort of hidden desire, like, mm-hmm. wow, what would it be if I can just literally throw off everything and, and run wild and howl at the moon, you know, uh, kind of a Dr. <laughs> Jekyll and Mr. Hyde thing, which didn't work out very well for Jekyll, but, you know. Uh, yeah, you I, know, I think after, after a couple of Ryan Coke around here, you see the people <laughs> running naked without clothes on howling at the moon, so... I was just kind of thinking that they were party-hardy drunks, but now I know they're shapeshifters. If you want to get, yeah, there you, go. you know, here we right. go. Here's another example of shapeshifting: actors on TV. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. They get in characters so much, you know. Um, yeah. That uh, cosplay, you know, people that do cosplay, they're really into stuff. And, and you're right, actors, you know, sometimes can't even get out of character. I thought you were going to say cross-dressing there for a second. <laughs> hey, listen. Well, that, uh, could be too, I guess. Yeah, well, you're shape-shifting, aren't you? Absolutely. <laughs> John, uh, we've got uh, we've come to the end of our hour with you. First of all, I want to thank you so much for joining us. But tell our listeners how they can find out more about you and where they can get your books. Sure, sure. Well, you've been telling my website, which I appreciate, Uh My schedule is on there. That tells people where I'll be and what mm-hmm. programs I'll be on or whatever. All my books are available through the website. They're also available through Amazon, Barnes & Noble, any of the online booksellers. And hopefully they're in your bookstores, too. Um, they should be, uh, if they're not asked for. <laughs> John Kachuba, so. thank you so much for joining us. Take care of yourself, my Thanks, friend, and I look forward to the next time we meet back here in the X-Zone. As do I. Take care. Happy shape-shifting. Bye-bye. Bye-bye now. I'll be back on the other side of this break as we continue here in the X-Zone from our broadcast center and studios in Crystal Beach, Ontario, Canada. And don't forget, check out classic1220.ca have that friend who wakes up early to go get everyone McDonald's breakfast while the rest of us sleep in. This is your sign to thank them. And if you're that friend, this is us saying thank you. Now get a sausage McMuffin, sausage biscuit, sausage burrito, or hash browns. Choose two for $2.50. Enjoy a large iced coffee for just $2. Price of participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Great news. For a limited time, you can get one month free of Spectrum Mobile service. That's right, one month free with any new line. 
This exclusive offer is only available at select Spectrum stores. So stop by today. Our team of mobile experts are ready to help you switch and save hundreds on your mobile bill. Don't miss out on this incredible offer. Come see us at Market at Hilliard, Taylor Square, and Waterloo Crossing. Spectrum Internet and auto pay required. Restrictions apply. Visit store for details. And welcome back, everyone. John Kachuba is my special guest, and we're talking about John's new book entitled Shapeshifting, A History. John, before we went to the break, you were just going to start telling us a, a story that you came across. Yeah, well, you're looking at the idea of evidence, yeah. you know, for some of these things, right? So there was a, a, there was a um, 18th century France, the south of France, there were some villages, small villages, that were literally being terrorized by some kind of a canine beast. They said a very large canine beast. They called it the Beast of Jevedon. Um, and over a two-year period, this thing was credited, or at least accused, of killing over 100 villagers, which is you know, quite, a, quite a record, right? Well, south of France was you know, in an upheaval about this. The king sent out hunters. They couldn't find it. A local guy finally shot this thing. His name was John Chastel, a local hunter, and he shot it. And he left, he left a little diary, and he said that when he examined the corpse, you remember earlier I talked about this deer that had sort yes. of fingers and toes yeah. instead of hooves. Well, he was saying that this beast thing, and he called it a wolf, but he said that it didn't have typical sort of canine paws and claws he said they looked more like fingers and toes and he said the same thing about the eyes that the eyes mm. he said were sort of what the, i forgot the word he used i think he just said something like unnatural but that they looked more like they were looking at him more like a human now so so here's a guy who shoots something that people in the south of france were saying was a werewolf that it was transforming it was a werewolf nobody saw it transform but they were saying it was a werewolf and he describes it as having some sort of human attributes. He writes that down, yet there's no cadaver, there's no corpse. I mean, you would think, you would think that there was something that unusual, that they would have taken that thing and, and mounted it and had it on display somewhere and said, look, here's a real werewolf. But that didn't happen. So, again, it's like, where's the evidence? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? exactly. And... Is there any record of him showing this creature to anyone else, other hunters, uh, the village people, or uh, even the king? Not that I know of. Huh. Um, so, the, so the interesting thing is, when the king sent his hunters out, this is a little side story, okay. he sent out these royal huntsmen. Uh, I forgot which, it was one of the Louis. I forgot which King Louis, but it was one of them. And uh, they did shoot something that was a, a pretty large kind of canine animal. And they did bring it back to Versailles, the Palace of Versailles, and it was mounted and everything else. And it, but it turned out it was just an ordinary wolf, nothing, I mean, a large one, but just a regular wolf. And they thought, oh, great, mm -hmm. we got the beast, you know, we killed it. Well, then the, then the murders continued to take place. And then this John Chastel goes out and, and shoots it. But I don't know that anybody else ever saw it other than him. And he left his, like, he had, like I said, he had a little diary and he just made these notes about it. Um, but again, wouldn't you think, wouldn't you think that not only, even if some, for some reason you didn't have the body, mm -hmm. the, the corpse, wouldn't you think that you'd still be bringing people around and saying, hey, you gotta, you got to come take a look at this thing before yeah. it disappears or whatever, or I don't know. I mean... No evidence, again, just something written down. You know, if, if that would have been me way back then, we don't have, uh, they didn't have cell phones or photos or whatever, I would have, first of all, gotten as many people around as I could and then found the local right. artist to take a picture, you know, to draw a picture of it. Right, right. But, 
And there are, you know, it's funny because there are a lot of drawings mm-hmm. uh, from that time period of, you know, different conceptions of what people thought the Beast of Givaudan was. Uh, and they ranged from something that was looking like just pretty much a standard wolf to something that looked almost like um almost like a dragon i mean with scales wow. and everything else so so the the range of ideas about what this beast was was incredible uh so who knows what it was i, I mean something killed 100 people in france in, in that time period and we don't know what that was uh but you know and that still remains a mystery bad wine <laughs> could very well be yeah um so basically, has there been shape shifting reported throughout history in all cultures as well? Pretty much, pretty much. And what I find is that um, you know the, the type of shape sh- the, <laughs> the type of shape shifter um, really varies depending on the culture. You know, we talk about werewolves, right? Mm-hmm. But almost every animal there's a were something. There's were bears. There's were otters. There's were beavers. I mean, you know, we've got a range of animals depending on the culture. Um, but yeah, there's been stories uh, all all around. Um, and, and again, some some I will say uh, personal accounts. There's one from India from 1996 from the province of uh, the Indian state of Uttar Pradesh. And uh, this story that I got was actually printed in the New York Times. And a Times reporter went out to this area and was interviewing people. This was a case where in 1996, uh, over that period of a year, something like 33 children uh, went missing. And they would find some of, you know, some of the bodies later, but some of them just totally disappeared. Yeah. And it got to be the point where the whole state was in a pan. It was in a in a panic, and people started attacking each other and accusing each other of sorcery. Uh, there was mob, you know, lynching. They lynched something like twelve people that they said were sorcerers that had, you know, changed themselves and stolen these children. But the Times reporter was talking to people and interviewed them, and several people said that they had seen what they described as a wolf. They described it as a man-wolf instead of wolf-man. They said a man-wolf that had attacked these children. Um, one, one girl was about 15, and she said that she literally saw this thing, this man-wolf, carry off her little brother. And the way she described it is she said that it threw him over its shoulder and ran off on its hind legs. Now, you know, what kind of animal does that? Right? I mean, that sounds like a guy. It sounds like a person. It does. You throw something over your shoulder and you run right. up on two legs, right? So, again, these are just eyewitness accounts that you have to sort of, I think, take with a, you know. Green of salt. Uh, be a, yeah, exactly. You have to be a little skeptical about yeah. it. But clearly something, again, something, something did kill 33 children. Yes. Um whether it was a werewolf or a man-wolf or a wolf-man, well, I don't know, but something did. Now, where these attacks and where these children went missing in India, was it near a river by any chance? I don't know for sure because, why you asked that. Well, because I, I know that there have been several reports, you know, over the years of, of children being taken by an alligator or a crocodile mm-hmm. and brought into the river. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, sure. Yeah, I was just sure. wondering that. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, I, I don't know for sure if there was a river in the area or not. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. 33 sounds like, you know, a lot of gators. <laughs> well, we can always blame it on the aliens and say they were, you know, abducted by aliens. Well, that's got to be the next step, right? <laughs> Which brings in the alien, you know, reptilian alien. Exactly. There's a whole other class uh, yeah shapeshifters it seems that the shapeshifters have even found their their way into the uh the ufo genre thanks to um david ike mm-hmm. right yeah exactly exactly so yeah. let's talk about dracula was he a shapeshifter so the interesting thing about Dracula, if you talk about the Dracula, you mentioned fiction before. Yes. So if you talk about the literary Dracula, mm-hmm. the Bram Stoker Dracula, yes. that, as far as I can tell, is the first time that a vampire actually becomes a shapeshifter. 
Um, there were two other popular vampire novels written before him, uh, Varney the Vampire and Carmilla, and both both like you know early 19th century. Uh, actually, Varney was 18th century, I think. But in any case, they weren't shapeshifters. They were they were awful, horrible beasts, but they weren't shapeshifters. But in Stoker's Dracula, there's that one scene where um, boy, I forgot her name. I think it's Lucy. I might be off on that, but. You know, she's in her bedroom, and this bat is banging against the window trying mm-hmm. to get in. And, you know, she's looking at this bat, and she's in terror, and this big bat is banging against the window. All of a sudden, the bat disappears, and instantly, Count Dracula is standing in her room. So the idea being that he transformed from a bat. And there's another scene where he's actually crawling down this castle wall. You know, like like a squirrel, right. literally crawling down this castle wall. So that's the first time that you actually see a vampire transform. But that set off every vampire since then mm-hmm. has been a shapeshifter. Um, All right, John. So I blame got, I blame so, Stoker. All right, let's blame. <laughs> All right, John, stand by, my friend. Uh, yeah, I wonder if uh, Dracula was going down the uh, down the uh, wall like a squirrel looking for his nuts. <laughs> I'll just I'll leave that double on taunt there, all right? Exonation, our guest is John Kachuba. His website is johnkachuba.com. And the name of his new book is Shapeshifters, A History. And we'll be back on the other side of this uh, break as we wrap up this hour here in the Exxon from our broadcast center and studios in beautiful Crystal Beach, Ontario. Hey, and don't forget, Exonation, you like rock and roll? You like 50s, 60s, 70s? Do you like classic music, classic talk? Visit www.classic1220.ca. Don't go away. have that friend who wakes up early to go get everyone McDonald's breakfast but the rest of us sleep in this is your sign to thank them and if you're that friend this is us saying thank you now get a sausage McMuffin sausage biscuit sausage burrito or hash browns choose two for $2.50 enjoy a large iced coffee for just $2 price of participation may vary cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal single item at regular price Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. 